your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Welcome back to the American Toffee Sadcast. This is Alex joined by Ryan today. James and I did a switcheroo on you this week. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't make it. But otherwise, we have uh, some some kind of post-match episode for you today. And before we hop into that, if you please don't mind doing us a great favor, if you enjoy the show, um, please check out our links, um, review, rate, subscribe, follow us on all our accounts. You can be, find all links at linktree slash USA Toffee Pod, spelled out, that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash USA Toffee Pod. We also have a fantastic Discord community, um, a lot of uh, fun conversations to be had. That link can be found at invite.gg slash ATP. The links will all be in the description as well if you didn't catch that. So first things first, Ryan, let's hop into the instant match reaction. Let's hear it. I know you're dying to share how you're feeling about that. Three, two loss. It's kind of like Mr. T's forecast in Rocky three pain. Um, yeah, I'm just, I, I don't know what to say, Alex. I'm so frustrated and so angry, upset, depressed. Um, I don't know what to say, man. Uh, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, uh, I guess the only thing I have to add is I, I think we, we genuinely may be going down. Um, and then juice law at juice law underscore W I said, I effing hate Everton more than any team I've ever rooted for. I think that's a pretty accurate statement for all involved. Um, unfortunately, we had no correct score predictions this week. So why don't we hop right into the lineup? Um, and Ryan, why don't you give us the r- rundown on uh, how Burnley decided to start the match today? Well, they're not good. Uh, this just in, in case you didn't notice, Burnley, they're, they're not real good. Uh, and apparently we aren't either. Uh, they haven't scored a goal since February. Uh, in that match, I think they only had one chance with an expected goal of over 0.11. We've got the lowest XG in the league, second fewest goals for uh, the changes they made. They play typical kind of direct uh, Sean Dyche hoofball, I guess we would call it. Uh, Cornette comes in for McNeil, Westwood in for Cork. Looking at the team, Cornette's probably their real danger guy. He's athletic. He's a good player. Him and Lennon are going to attack through the wings, assuming we could stuff him in the middle. And I think that's pretty much what we did. I was terrified to see John Joe Kenny try and defend against Cornette, to be perfectly honest. I think there may be some reason why Gordon was playing instead of Gray, other than it being a couple days away. He could probably help a little bit more committed on the defensive end. That's kind of my take. Um, Everton, God, we're just hamstrung with injuries and suspensions now, right? Yeah, I mean, so we still had no Alon or Keen because of red card suspensions. <laughs> some may say one of those is a good thing. Um, Delphin Coleman, although made the bench this time around, although neither one of them, uh, ended up seeing the pitch. Um, it looked like it was going to be, you know, a four, one, four, one, or a four, three, three, maybe in possession, kind of like the previous match. And we did kind of see that, especially, um, with, with how Holgate was, um, employed or employed through the, through the match. Yeah, that's what we saw. I think, um, when we look at the average positions, it's kind of interesting, Ben Godfrey and, uh, Holgate were stacked on top of JB. Uh, Brantwith gets the start with Keen on the bench. That's asking a lot of a very young kid. Apparently, neither Delph nor Coleman were healthy enough to really start today. I think that's a massive drop off. I mean, Seamus Coleman isn't the greatest right back in the league anymore, but he certainly is a huge upgrade over John Joe Kenny. Um, 
And look, we played pretty compact again. It was very similar tactically to the way we played uh, last match against West Ham, which wasn't all bad. It was just a couple really large mistakes, and we saw that a little bit today. The problem when you do that is Holgate's still playing out of position. Um, I still don't have a lot of faith in Frank's ability to organize a defense. And, and But Burnley were an attack very directly. They don't score a lot of goals. They don't have a strong offense. So you figured if there was ever a moment where the defense would actually be solid, maybe pitch a shutout, give us a chance to win, this would be it. Um, and look, we did force their attack out wide, but we conceded a lot of corners early, and ultimately that kind of hurt us. Um, but yeah, then if you look at kind of the attack sides, it's kind of interesting, Alex. I feel like they tried to attack down their right side most of the first half. So it was a lot of Lennon going at Mikalinko, um, trying to take advantage of probably Brantwaith over there. We were trying to force it to Richarlison uh, virtually the whole match. But I felt like Burnley switched very much to attacking the left side kind of in the second half of the second half, if you know what I mean. Um, both sides had chances, uh, not a lot of long shots, really. I just think they had a couple really massive chances due to breakdowns again. But I would say on average, I'd say we had our average, I guess our median chance was probably better than theirs. You think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I would absolutely say it's a better assessment. I mean, look, you know, there weren't a ton of shots in the game, as you said, to begin with. But Burnley, for example, had about 85% outside of the six-yard box, where we had 100% outside of the six-yard box. And and mind you, you know, we we look back at, okay, Calvert-Lewin's back. We saw, and we'll, we'll kind of get into it in the timeline. You know, you think, okay, we're going to be swinging some crosses in for the big man. But in reality, I mean, we, we really didn't see much from him. Um, but why don't we uh, go ahead and hop into the timeline? Yeah, I think so. I, I, we had trouble kind of hanging on to the ball really too. You know, you thought you might, we, we might get on the ball a little bit better, but if you look at the beginning of the match and how it started, really Burnley had three corners in the first 15 minutes, um, had the ball 58% of the time outshot Everton four to nil Holgate picks up a yellow card in the third. That was an atrocious foul. A lot of people said, Oh, he got the ball, but ultimately you can't take out the player when you do it. That's a massive a massive event to me because it killed a lot of his aggressiveness. He's already reckless as it is. Uh, maybe it also prevented him from fouling anyone in a bad spot again. But um, ultimately in the 12th after Brownhill also took a yellow, I thought that would be something we could exploit to Brownhill taking, taking the yellow a little bit. Maybe that's why Iwobi had some success at times, just basically tackling Richarlison, but sure enough, almost directly off the corner um, Burnley score to make it one nil in the uh in the 12th and another set piece alex yeah i mean it, it was honestly just so frustrating to see especially so early on i mean as you mentioned we kind of started slow um but again you know the corner floats essentially back post um you know you had branthwaite kind of jump for it but he didn't make it and i don't think it was necessarily his ball to get um but holgate i think in the end um didn't necessarily attack the ball in his zone as he was supposed to um, Awobi kind of peeled off the back, I think a little early expecting one of them to make the clearance, which never ended up coming. Yeah. I mean, Awobi's blocking there a little bit, you know, he's got to run in front of the guy. Maybe he can prevent, um, Collins from getting to that ball. I'm not sure. Um, it was a decent corner, but it shouldn't be able to go through a series of four players sitting, playing zonal on the sixth. Uh, that's pretty ridiculous to me. I think Holgate's ultimately the guy that has to go up and try and contest the ball, at least at a minimum. 
That's the whole point of zone. You have to attack the ball. The blockers are there to prevent someone to get at the zone so they don't get a good flying, running leap and everything. But I don't think Collins really got some massive flying leap. I just think they let it go. You got to attack the ball when you're in zonal, and they just did not. Um, I know Holgate's not the best in the air, but they, he's got to do better here. I, I don't think this is a tactical issue, honestly. I think it's a player performance what? issue. Curious your take, Alex. I mean, the most frustrating thing is, I mean, I personally was pretty upset to see Holgate on the team sheet, especially seeing as how I find, you know, we were going to see him at the at the DM role, uh, most likely. But you think like Holgate is selected, especially at the DM role for one thing, and that's his defensive ability. I think specifically against Burnley, that's really his size too. So when he gets a yellow card in the first three minutes, and then he's essentially like at fault in the 12th minute to go one nil down on the corner... It's just alarming to me, and it really does. It genuinely sums up his time at Everton, but also just how the rest of the match, I think, was going to go. It, the funny part was is I felt like at other times during the match, he he won the ball pretty well out of the air. He made the effort. I mean, I think he had five aerials won. I, I think only, only Calvert-Lewin had more. Um, I think it says to our back line that no one else really had more than that. But if that's the case, what, that's your one moment you fall asleep. And that's a big part of what this has been for Everton over the last several weeks. It's just massive, massive mistakes. And for me, this is just sleeping, falling asleep at the wheel. I mean, go up for the ball. How are you not ready to do that? I mean, are you not ready to play? I I don't get it. You think if anyone like Mason Holgate in particular should be the one that's thankful he even has a spot. So isn't this an opportunity to show that, hey, you know, I still belong in here. I'm pretty shocked with this as well, Alex, but I can't really blame frank necessarily for this one he, he's just got to do better um i will say this though i thought everton responded pretty strongly after this and and showed some character even if our first shot was really the penalty in the 18th um which was a massive event i mean i was really i just so despondent after that first goal and i was encouraged to see us kind of pick it up a little bit but this was a massive moment for us and i think it really calmed us down a lot Soft penalty, or you think a fair one? I think it's fair. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, Gordon. Gordon has had a had a time with it in terms of diving. I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Um, but I think it was pretty fair. I mean, he was on top of him in the box. I mean, legs got tangled maybe a little bit. Could it have been soft? Sure. But I think you could also argue maybe we were due that penalty plus two or three more previously in the last couple months as well. Yeah, so I, I don't think, think anyone could realistically argue that that. Yeah, you know what I mean? But I I will say, though, you know, just to your point about the fact that it really calmed us down, um, I think Richarlison was really cool with the effort that he took, obviously, with the stutter step, um, classic Richie. But that's an important moment. You saw that him and the other teammates were kind of saying, like, right after the goal, all right, come on, guys, let's go. Let's keep our heads in it. We can make it happen. And uh, there was that weird moment where where Gordon was looking at everyone like, why aren't you celebrating with us over in the corner? That was a very strange moment. He was angry, and you could tell he was upset that no one was there celebrating. But I don't know. It was um, it was very strange. But hey, finally Gordon's diving pays off. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it was an effective one. If you get clipped in the back, go down. I th- there's nothing wrong with that. It was a reckless challenge. It was a dumb play by Burnley, and really, it was somewhat against the run of play. It was our only shot on goal at the time. But but then we we started really taking off, uh, including that we outshot Burnley. 5-0 after that goal. Um, again, two of these are penalties. We'll get to the second one in a second. 
but we still were conceding possession and and still they had five more corners after this too, which we took care of, I think a little bit better. Uh, the wind was howling a lot. I'm sure that affected a little bit the corner delivery, but I thought Burnley looked really susceptible on the counter and we had a couple pretty, pretty big chances here. I know in the 22nd, Richie kind of tucked in one, hammered it, kind of hammered it a little too tight, got deflected out for a corner, didn't quite bend it enough. And then in the 24th, I mean, Awobi plays Richie in kind of to the right side. It looks like Dominic Calvert-Lewin maybe could have gotten it, but he cut inside. Richie got it and he tries to chip it to Dom. And I'll tell you what, this barely gets deflected. If it doesn't get deflected, it's an absolute tap in. I love the decision by Richie. I just thought it showed great vision. You didn't quite pull it off. Uh, he did manage to get the ball back, fire across, and then Dominic Calvert-Lewin got absolutely tackled, by the way. No call. I, I I don't know if you call a penalty there, but it probably was a foul, actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a Wobie again, kind of back to what we saw the West Ham match, playing players in. And and at times when a Wobie got on the ball, I thought that's when we looked most in control and most dangerous. Alex has a pretty good knack for finding space and controlling the attack, and that's what we saw. And you know, maybe the penalty in the 38th wasn't out of some great play, but it was another through ball by Awobi, which was tremendous. He had a couple of those through balls where Richie would cut inside, open up the wing for Mikalinko. Mikalinko did get forward today, and I thought played a, a pretty good match. A little surprised that Mike Dean didn't rule this a penalty right away. I mean, it seemed like a blatant penalty to me in real time. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, to your point, like the Awobi pass to Mikalinko on this was like actually inch perfect. I think that that phrase gets overused, but this one genuinely based on his pace to and, and his distance from the ball. Um, and it was a nice cutback from Mikalinko too. I mean, you know, we we bag on him for his lack of offensive ability um, or threat, I guess you could say. And as you mentioned, he was getting forward pretty well, but um, it was it was funny, especially the memes coming out. After, of course, it was Aaron Lennon to make the foul. And and you saw as they were looking at VAR, um, and even the commentators mentioned how you saw Aaron Lennon's face, and he looked uh, pretty pretty dang guilty. So I think he knew it as well. But, I mean, look, as you mentioned, I mean, since their goal, we, we really were, like, putting in the work. Um, and moving into halftime, I think, like, Everton, anyone, fans, staff, players, would have, you know, bit your hand off for 2-1 before we started the match. Yeah, and I thought we were probably a little bit fortunate to be up. But that being said, I mean, they were getting everything off set pieces. I thought we were the more dangerous team for the run of play. And at halftime, you just kept thinking, man, if we just bunker in and play solid defensively, they are going to be open on the counter. We should score. Let's get the third one and ice these guys away. Um, And the way the second half opened up, I mean, Burnley came right out and put pressure on us. Uh, There's no question. Uh, But there were still opportunities. I mean, in the 52nd minute, Richie hits the bar absolutely hammers this shot um almost breaks the darn bar would have been anthony gordon's first open play assist in the premier league all season by the way even though it's kind of one of those cheap assists where you give it to someone and they make the play but it was a good counter and you have two guys with pace i mean i just thought that was the recipe you know and this oh god man this goes in it's massive it's a huge chance and then I don't even know how to describe this one in the 55th. It's the one where John Joe Kenny gets into the box, lofts a high crossover to Richarlison, hits the post. I don't know how it didn't go in. And then Richie kind of misses the rebound off the post. And I just kept, the, how does that not go in? It's such an incredible chance. And this is really the, the biggest moment, I think, in the game, in my opinion. Um, I think it would have changed the entire complexity of it. I'm not saying that we would have gone on to win necessarily, but I really like our chances. 
um, because two minutes later, you know, Burnley equalized. I don't know what you thought, Alex, but this was it looked like it was going to be our match. You know, it was kind of a moment of luck and then it didn't go in, you know, because John Joe probably wasn't trying to put it on net, obviously. Yeah, I mean, well, that, you know, the feeling was, as you mentioned, like Burnley came out quick after the second half. And we've seen, generally, we've seen too many times how that usually plays out for us. So it was nice just a couple of minutes later to see, you know, a quick flurry and some promising chances. Um, but that was, as you said, like the the absolute turning point because two minutes later, essentially, Burnley turn around and, and score their second to equalize completely against the run of play. Although, you know, the run of play was all of all of five minutes um, John Joe Kenny gets absolutely torched by Charlie Taylor, who essentially just crosses it into the middle of the box for Jay Rodriguez to bury home. And, and I, it was just absolutely alarming, but even then maybe, you know, ha, you're just sitting there thinking, you're just sitting there thinking like you work so hard. And, and once again, just like the first half, it, it's, it's one mistake. Well, it's, it's a, it's a myriad of mistakes across the pitch really, but, um, it was just absolutely deflating to see that at that point. I mean, they had not shot us five to one, but we clearly had the better chances. We looked a lot more dangerous. I just thought the tide had turned. You know, when we had those back-to-back chances, you're thinking, oh, we got these guys are in trouble now. We got them on the ropes. There's so many mistakes on this play. I don't even know where to start. I mean, Tarkowski moves forward. I, I don't know what Gordon is doing here. He almost gives him like an Olay move, but I, I don't think that was a massive thing. Um, yeah, John Joe Kenny gets completely turned by Charlie Taylor, but this is what my biggest issue is. He beats him, but he beats him all the way to the touchline. No one goes to him. So I I don't understand this from a tactical standpoint. Like, what is the defensive midfielder's role here? If we're playing 4-1-4-1, well, first of all, where the heck is DeCorey, I might add? I mean, is he gone? I I don't know where he was, but someone has to go to the the fullback. Someone, please, like, it's it's like a basic FIFA setting, man. I mean, this is like basic tactics 101. What is the defensive mid doing? Is it staying central? If he is, that's fine. Then Godfrey has to go and close him down. You don't let the wing back get all the way or the fullback get all the way to the touchline. I mean, that's absolutely impossible to stop. It's an easy play. And they just watch him go. Just watch him. Him and Godfrey just ball watch him all the way through. And so the problem here is, um, I can't remember, maybe it was Wakehouse Horse makes the near post run. JB's pulled that way. He can't do anything about it. Pickford follows that run, even though that person was almost past the post. He never really reacts. I, I don't get that, but whatever. Um, Awobi is flying back, but he's the 10, so he has no chance of getting there. And Mikalinko checks his shoulder. He's got a player behind him. He's got Lennon behind him, so he can't jump to the middle necessarily. And I mean, Rodriguez cuts to the middle and just buries it. I mean, it's an absolute tap in Alex. And, and it's just, it's just terrible defending. And maybe it's a byproduct of Mason Holgate being out of position or not knowing what the heck he's doing, but this is like, that's fundamental stuff. And I don't know if that's Frank for not coaching how to deal with that tactically or not working on shape, or are these just two individuals that are bad defenders. Um, I, Ben Godfrey is just incredibly inexperienced, not polished as a defender. Um, and I don't, maybe it's long COVID. I just, this is just such a bad play on so many levels and it's, and it's just crushing, isn't it? I mean, it's just, and we really came to life again here, but it's, if you're an attacker, it's one thing to miss chances, right? And you can rue the miss chances. Cause I, I felt like we probably should have scored a few more, but ultimately, I mean, how, how can you concede two goals? And then the later one here, especially in the way we do it. I mean, I think some of the guys, actually, the attacker showed a lot of character continuing to fight after this. I guess you have no choice, but it's just debilitating, isn't it? I mean, I was incredibly frustrated as a fan. I can't even imagine how frustrated some of the other players on the team were. Yeah, it is. I mean, and 
And, you know, the wor- <laughs> I think the worst part about it is the fact that, you know, after the match, you, you see Sean Dyche, uh, <laughs> they asked him, what did you say to your team in halftime? Savage. And his quote was, I genuinely told them I don't think Everton know how to win away. And then you're sitting there in the 57th minute and you're like, this guy's probably right, you know? And and to be fair, and as you mentioned, we did bounce back, right? After the goal, Everton turned it up and we had the majority of the possession um, until essentially the 89th minute, nine to four in shots, five to one in dribbles. So we were definitely playing more direct as <laughs> was probably required at that point in time, five to one in co- corners. Um, you know, like the 61st minute, Richie missed, missed a bike. Uh, from John Joe Kenny. Uh, Mikalinko had a cross in and Dominic Calvert-Lewin jumps but barely misses. And Gordon in the 65th minute, just a couple minutes later, had a had a nice corner and, and Jared Branthwaite hammers it over. I mean, we were pretty persistent. You were kind of hoping maybe something could come. Maybe a third penalty hat trick for Richie at this point. Uh, we look great. Godfrey had that huge carry forward, which terrified me because we already saw this in, in the West Ham match. But he finds Richie. got pretty lucky from nutmegging the defender. And his shot is blocked. I mean, you just sit there and think, dear Lord, we are all over these guys. How are we not going to score here? Um, in the 72nd minute, Frank decided to finally make a sub. I want to talk about that in a little bit because I don't get that at all. Uh, he brings Damari Gray in for, for Gordon. And I'm okay with that. The only problem is that's a bit of a risk because you've got Gordon now um, who was helping at least maybe a little bit on fault, but not too much on the second goal. Um, you've got Gray in there who we know is not going to defend a whole lot. So maybe DeCorey needs to be on notice. Frank's clearly going for it. He's like, look, we've got the momentum. Uh, maybe we're lacking the quality. How do you feel like Anthony Gordon did tonight? Uh, I mean, sadly, the, the Jared Brantwaite cross is the only one he hit. I think he was one for 11 in crosses. He was third in touches. He had 54 in 72 minutes. So that's an awful lot of involvement. He contributed on the defensive end. He had three tackles and an interception, but he had one great shot that I think was blocked kind of. On, it's not a semi breakaway, you know what I mean? But I felt like the quality was lacking a little bit, but I thought he did okay. I'm kind of curious as to your take. Like, I can't – the attackers were effective. It just couldn't quite finish, but they weren't way off either. Um, Maybe a lack of quality on Anthony's end. I mean, Damari's probably better, but, I mean, just played a full match three days ago or four days ago, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I thought thought Gordon was okay. Like, he he was not bad. I thought – he definitely did better than some of the other matches that we've kind of discussed drew the penalty. in recent weeks. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. He drew the penalty, um, but he wasn't necessarily like a, effective, right? I mean, he, he really didn't offer a whole lot in attack. As you said, a one for 11 crosses is pretty bad, especially when, <laughs> especially when in the last, uh, well, I guess at least last season, it was literally a cross to Dominic Calvert-Lewin and pray. So that didn't really work out today because we he definitely hit another saw that was out of bounds, um, by the way. a big part he of the strategy. Another well. corner out of bounds, Alex. True. So, you know, Okay, but I still would have preferred Gray to you know start. I don't, obviously, we talked about it. Yeah, for a fitness standpoint, though, maybe maybe it makes sense. Played three days yeah. before, right? Um, so anyway, Burnley it. start coming on a little bit after this. But point a loss to, me. to Burnley away doesn't make any sense. No, no. I mean, look, they started coming on a little bit here. I mean, Cornet had that big shot. The pick for me to decent save on again. This is from their left. I mean, John Joe was just getting picked on at this point. They pretty much gave up attacking Mikalinko. Mikalinko was doing a good job. Um, this one, God, I mean, Godfrey's just watching him. Like no one goes out to him and closes him down. He hits it right at Pickford. So Pickford makes the save, but then in the 86th, um, I, I just, there's so much wrong again on this play. I don't know what to say. I mean, first of all, it starts with Pickford completely whiffing on a longer ball. And ultimately they don't have a throw in basically, if he hits this with any sort of 
competency. And I get that it's windy. I get it. But you got to concentrate and clear the ball. I mean, if anything, it's a throw in all the way down the pitch. But but for the most part, he had plenty of time to keep it in bounds and send it up to Dom. I, I just so it shouldn't happen. Then even worse, direct off the throw in Taylor standing basically right next to the thrower. It throws it right down to his feet. No one goes out at him. It's a completely uncontested cross. And then the big error. I know it's windy again, but the ball just deflects right off Ben Godfrey. It, it, it goes right to the line. It's just such a bad play. Bounces to McNeil on the touchline. Of course, when they subbed in McNeil, you're just thinking, oh, dear Lord, here's fresh legs and someone that can cross a ball going at John Joe. He gets there. He crosses to Cornette who buries it. And I, I just, again, I, Holgate comes out after him, takes a terrible angle, obviously, because not really blocking any sort of cross. The cross goes right to the 12th and... Then Godfrey's staring at him. Tuna doesn't doesn't block the cross either. I, I cannot believe how two guys can come at him and still make a cross happen so easily. Um, you know, JB's back in the net trying to block the shot. Pickford's on the near post again. This this was strange, but he's not finishing this. The thing's dead in the corner. It's just terrible defending. And again, you're let down on one big moment again. And and even worse than on the 87th minute, Frank then subs on Ronda. I mean, ultimately, Alex, why is John Joe still on the pitch, number one? Why is Holgate still on the pitch? If Seamus Coleman and Fabian Delph are like remotely functional at this point, they have got to be in the match. I don't know what he's waiting for at this point. Maybe they're deathly ill. They're in walking comas or something. I don't know what it is, but you can't let these guys stay on the... How could you not have been watching that match and saying they're going right at Kenny? They're going right at Kenny. And Holgate does not know what he's doing. He's still on the yellow. He looks a little tired. I, I just, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I just think it's such bad defending. And really, we created almost no chances on the way down. But really, when you look at it, look at the XG difference. It's very close. We got the two penalties, so it kind of vaulted us up higher. But look, they had three chances. That's it. 0. 0.65, 0. 0.65, and 0. 0.45 XG. That is it. Those are all their chances. That's all they had. And there were massive chances. It's the West Ham game all over again. I don't know what your thoughts are in this, but it's just comical defending on the goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it was garbage defending, and I, I'm tired of seeing it from the same guys every week. And I'm tired of feeling like I'm watching these guys, some of these guys, like right, like Holgate, for example, John Joe Kenny. We're watching them for five years now, and they haven't gotten any better. You know what I mean? Holgate had one good game against United like two years ago as a DM and got a new contract, and here we are. And he looks far worse than he had been. I'm on a bit of a rant. Um, but, you know, let's let's bring it back to the subs because – I think the subs and, and well, the sub choices and, and the timing, you know, can be a really good discussion. So he made two subs, right? And you talked about Rondon late. Realistically, though, we know our bench was really, really thin. But we did have Coleman and Delph, which I would have preferred to see both. The question is, though, like we also had Deli Ali, Ali earning 100K a week sitting on the bench. You might feel like he could be a bit more of an asset than Rondon, right? Late on. Or, or for someone else. I mean, Wobeep's probably gassed at this point. Is DeCorey going to help you score a goal any more than anyone else at this point? No. No. Darn it. Get Deli Ali on, of course. He's tall. He's actually creative. He can he can give you that one moment of quality, perchance, if he's in the box. Yeah, pull DeCorey off. Let a Wobie create from back. I don't know what you do, but my God, do something. Put a Wobie in a wing back right back. I don't care. And sub him in for Kenny. I, I just... Why are you leaving your subs to that late to begin with? What? 
I mean, you, you have them for a reason. Why would you not use them? I mean, seriously, there are Premier League managers right now that are fighting for five subs, and they're really not fighting it for fitness reasons. We know Klopp isn't because he doesn't <laughs> even use his subs. It's complete garbage. We all know it. He's doing it because he has more talent. It gives him more tactical ability and flexibility. That's why the managers want them. They all think they're their own geniuses and they can outwit the other team. What is Frank even saying he supported the decision for when he doesn't even use his three? How can you do that? You've got three games this week, Alex. <laughs> what are you thinking? I like Michael Sharple's comment here, too, um, but I think he's stepping over the line. I, I think it's fair to ask some questions of Frank. Uh, the structure at times is too stretched out, but I, I can't. I can't say his tactics were completely off, but his subs definitely merit questions. Um, is Frank, look, we were against Frank on the pod in terms of our concern was that it's a short-term gig. You know, I mean, this is, you have to fight relegation and Frank's not known for having a good defense, but we just conceded three goals to Burnley. I mean, they haven't, they scored three against Brighton, but that's like it. I mean, they're the worst goal scoring team in the league. Every time we play away, we're getting absolutely destroyed. Some of it's individual mistakes, but these are mistakes of decision-making, too. It's not that these players are just necessarily terrible. I mean, they might be, but they weren't making these decisions with other managers. So what are your thoughts here? I, I, I don't think you can take action at this point, but I don't know. I don't know what we do here, but I just think, did people overestimate that he knows the league? I mean, people are crying. There's a large part of this fan base, maybe not large, but definitely a small vocal part of it. That literally, you know, graffitied Goodison calling for hiring Frank Lampert. I, were they wrong? What do you think? I think only time will tell, to be honest. I mean, I mean, I, you know, I op- I opened the episode by saying like we, you know, I think we probably will go down. And I'd say as of today, I'm, you know, I still share that sentiment. Um, but it is all re- also realistic to say a handful of results say us stay up. Um, and then we might be having a different conversation next season. But I think his approach... I, I have to say, I think maybe some of the approaches are wrong. You know, we talked about it, as you mentioned, Ryan, specifically for the second half, right? Like, why did we not just sit back? We were already conceding possession. Why did we not just sit back, play to our own strengths and also to their weaknesses, right? I mean, Burnley are not a team known for for holding possession and and trying to break down a little block. I mean, we, we gave up five corners in the first half, so it's not like, uh, you know, sitting in a low block and being afraid of, of corners or crosses swinging into ginormous Burnley is, is an issue either, or, or we were going to stop it at, at any point. Um, but Michael Sharples had a, had an interesting tweet, bringing it back to the higher Frank Lampard and, and Vitor Pereira. But he, he said, essentially, I still don't understand why so many protested against Vitor Pereira, not saying he would have done better, more than a small minority on social media and even smaller willing to vandalize Goodison or Finch from to get their point across are really impacting the club. Um, and I'd say that may, that, that may be true. Um, That's heavy. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know enough to say that Vitor Pereira would be. It is. It is. I mean, to some extent, I guess, I guess really the only argument would be to what extent are they impacting it? Um, you know, you would say that someone like Farhad Moshiri really shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really care about the fans uh, input with Rafa, did he? So I don't know that that really changed the opinion, but I may be wrong. It's confusing for sure, though. Um that was a strange reaction to me. And I guess if you knew he was connected to Mendez, I get it. You're thinking, well, Mendez is the issue. But these are some of the same people that are screaming bloody murder to Marcel Brand. So they pushed him out in favor of Rafa. And what'd you get this January? That's what happens when you push out a competent director of football. There was no one there to fight for that angle um, to appoint a manager. And 
I mean, who would have possibly made that decision, Bill? So, so ultimately you picked a manager and talked all about identity and all this other future stuff. And Kevin Thelwell said the same stuff. Well, good luck with identity down in the championship because you have basically one year of parachute payments to make it back up. Um, no, objectively speaking, I think Vitor Perea is probably a better manager for the situation. I think he would have been more of a short-term appointment. He said so. He can organize a defense. But this isn't really about him. I think the point is that why were people so vocalized and so irate at this idea that they wanted Frank Lampart to be manager? And I think some people really need to take a step back and say, why was I so in favor of this guy again? Like, start to think about things. I mean, look, if you're in a relegation battle, not that I fully subscribe to this whole idea that you need a firefighter necessarily, but it should start with immediately. Like if you want to improve your team immediately, rather than carry forward a vision and, and implement a longer term approach, like he did successfully to an extent at, at Derby, he totally changed the way they played and was effective somewhat incorporating young people into the, into the team in Chelsea he failed the next year. But if you need to win in the short term, don't you have to shore up the shape? Don't you have to play solid defense at least first? Doesn't everything build out from that. And if it does, is Frank Lampart the guy you would choose? Absolutely not. So for anyone to be passionately in favor of hiring him is nuts. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever, unless my logic is completely wrong, which I don't think it necessarily is. Now, I can't necessarily blame Frank for the results today. But let me tell you what, if Fabian Delph or Seamus Coleman were capable of playing any minutes whatsoever today, and you just did not use him, especially when the game's tied and we look good, I mean, you can't, you can't lose this game. I mean, even if you tie it, not that that's a great result or anything, but we're not in dire straits necessarily. It's a draw. You know, we're not any worse necessarily. It's still a road draw against the team you're competing with. You're basically still a couple points ahead of them. But what happens? You sub no one. I, I just, I can't, I can't get over that, man. That really, it really disappoints me. And I just... So many bad decisions coming to roost. You know, we could, we'll get to that in a second. So there were some good performances. I mean, I thought Richarlison was playing his tail off. It just, God, he is just missing some chances. Not by much. I mean, they're very, you know, it's a fine margins. Um, zero for seven in crosses. I felt like in the second half, he started trying to force balls into Dominic Calvert-Lewin that were not well played. Maybe it was the win again. The effort was there. I mean, he led the team in touches. He wanted the ball, and you got to respect that. And I thought Alex Iwobi did a good job on the left side finding him supporting the attack. I mean, Mikolinko, I think, was second in touches. I think he did a good job. He was two of five in crosses, and I just felt like the attack on the left side was very good. But once again, we had no right side on attack for the most part. And I mean, besides John Joe Kenny's, you know, a couple plays down the right side, which were good, um, the quality wasn't there from that side, or there was not like kind of sustained pressure. You know what I mean? And But, you know, you can't address it now, unfortunately. Um what are your thoughts, Alex, on who you thought maybe also played a decent match? I mean, I got to go. The uh, first name I got to say is Richarlison, as you mentioned. It was really nice to see him out on the left again. And and I'll keep saying it. We've mentioned it in previous episodes, but he really does affect the team in, in a much more positive way from the left. I mean, we saw it. He was genuinely putting the team on his back multiple occasions, dribbling past, you know, three, four, five Burnley players, holding the ball up well, some nice fakes. Obviously, as you said, he converted both penalties. It took a cojones of steel to be able to do the stutter step in, in that sort of environment. And obviously, his teammates needed that, too. So um, it's got to be Richie for me. But I also will say, I think, you know, for me personally, I think that Mikalenko probably had one of his best games in the Everton shirt today. I thought defensively he was pretty good. He joined a lot in the attack. Um, it was kind of interesting to see how he joined in the attack. I mean, I mean obviously tactics and opposition matter, but seeing him work on the left-hand side, specifically with Richarlison was 
was interesting. And obviously, as you said, Awobi, I really liked um, his combination play on the left as well. But I, I think Awobi was maybe not as, as involved simply because he was just forced to cover so much ground across the entire pitch. That's a great point. He was covering for. Did you have any other thoughts on anyone else that might have been a? No, I mean he was covering a lot of ground, obviously, to try and uh, cover Richarlison. Uh, There's no question about it. But that helped us collectively. Um, He put in a shift defensively as well, for sure. I think he had a couple tackles, but I mean he definitely had some pressures and some other things as well. One clearance. He was actually defending deep in his 18 at one point. Yeah, and Mikalinko had two tackles as well too. I, I think ultimately what it came down to it is you just look at some of the performances in the middle and and especially with the ball. I mean, Mason Holgate, I just think from the yellow up front, um, he had two interceptions, not a single tackle at defensive mid, and I'm sure he was afraid to make a play. I mean, he did have six clearances and he, he won five aerials. That's great. Two fouls. You have another one in the second half that you're thinking, oh God, don't, don't give him the second yellow. But look, the bottom line is we saw his passing again, 38.7% pass rate, two for nine in long balls. What a surprise. Ben Godfrey, the same thing though, zero for seven in long balls bunch of clearances that's basically what it was um you know and it's disappointing because you see other guys Mikalinko was one of five in long balls but those were all clearances for the most part or just kind of hoofing it into the stands his crossing was okay but I think that's ultimately where the lack of quality was you know um those guys were just not great with the ball and I felt like sometimes they were just too hurried kind of hoofing the thing out of there but that being said we're up to one you know, we're up to one and just two massive mistakes really um and they were a combination of I mean, really, if you think about it, you could argue that Holgate's responsible, greatly responsible for three out of the goals. Um, Godfrey, of course, makes the bad touch. You think everyone will be as, I mean, that's a much worse touch than a Wobie's touch against West Ham that everyone wanted to fry him for, which I find comedic considering Alex basically created more than the entire team in that match. Um, there was a funny moment when Awobi like took a ball in a similar position where he like went out of his way to make sure he didn't give it away, which was kind of ridiculous. But ultimately, I just, you know, John Joe, I, you're looking at a back line that's just not very good, right, Alex? I mean, I thought Jared Brantwith was up for the fight a little bit. You know, he took care of the ball okay, but he's just a kid, man, you know? I mean, he's 19 years old, for heaven's sakes. The fact that he seemed to be the most composed guy back there really says it all, doesn't it? I mean, our back four was, what, 23 and under, right? Holgate is maybe 24, and I mean, obviously, he was playing DM, so I don't I'm not sure what else we expect from that back line in a relegation fight away from home, but not that we really had any choice either. Um, Max EFC at Real Max Maz had a uh, response about Godfrey, I think, and saying that he thought he was a bit overhyped last season, um, but he had pace to burn, which was a novelty, and we definitely enjoyed seeing that last season. I'll give him that. But he said, I think this year's pace is there, but not stamina or concentration. I think people underestimate the impact of COVID on things like concentration equally might just be his confidence is shot. Definitely agree that Godfrey came back a shell of himself, his former self, after um, having COVID. I don't, I don't know that he ever really found his feet uh, footing, but I guess it's easy to say the majority of the team hasn't either. So it's one of those where, you know, are all these guys really playing that bad or is it really a factor of the team or both? It's hard to say, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Um, Wander Dave at Halifax Dave kind of had some similar comments his opener was, I can't even. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I feel you. Um, good news. Miko will be great in championship with Brantwaith and Godfrey. Best attacking game in ages with Richie and a Wobes pulling the strings. Gordon Strong game midfield non-existent in middle. 
Yeah, DeCorey was okay. He had a couple kind of through balls and sprung a couple attacks, and he was back there. But um, I, I think I do kind of want to go back and watch the film, but I just don't know where he is on those last two goals. And, and I think the question remains that when you're up to one, I mean, you shouldn't really have just one defensive mid back, right? I mean, you need to be responsible. I, I think maybe switching almost to a four-two-three-one and DeCorey staying back, especially when we know John Joe is not that good to begin with. Um, makes a lot more sense. So I don't know if he just got caught up the pitch. Maybe he was pressuring. Maybe it was a battle that I missed. But those are two plays. He's not even in the picture. So where is he? What What is going on there? I, I don't know. Now, is that Frank? Is that DeCorey wanting to move forward? I don't think so because, I mean, this guy used to play as a true defensive mid, even with Watford at times. He's played up too. And you want him to get up and down the pitch, but it's not lack of fight or energy typically so i don't know what's going on there but it just those circumstances should not have happened and part it's shape alex to some extent and i just don't know if they're not getting on the pitch and and you know the training ground and really working through it as much um but it's tough you know you see the same things over and over again and i think stephen williams's response encapsulates a lot of that I, i'm sure you probably agree yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, in response to kind of talking about uh, possible relegation, he said essentially it's part of the reason that he's struggling to care because based on today's result, we deserve it and it's of our own making. Years and years of history thrown down the drain by an unbelievable series of dreadful decisions, obviously talking about uh, Farhad Moshiri and the board, um, which as a side note, I'm pretty sure everyone saw the figures this week as to how we have one of the, uh, I think, top five or top six highest paid boards in the Premier League. Uh, so that was actually just a huge facepalm moment. But Stephen uh, hit the nail right on the head. I- I'm feeling that way as well. I mean, we talked about it before the ma- before uh, recording today. I mean, it was a struggle to just come on here and make it happen because uh, Everton just it's one of those it's one of those seasons where they're just out to ruin your day every single time they play and. And I personally have not felt this down about the club um, since I've been a fan, which relative, you know, to uh, some may not be that long, but it's a, it is an absolute dreadful feeling. Yeah. I've had a brutal day. I mean, I'm down here on vacation. My mom got sick today and the fact that I'm potting it all is hard. And just to watch that performance and especially one where you thought we're in good shape and then to capitulate like that. Um, mental mistakes too, stuff that uh, like, I, I'm not that great a football player, but at least I know enough to, to not make certain things and certain mistakes. And I just, you see some basic stuff and you just can't, you just, you just can't figure it out. And I think what's even worse is too, and I, I sent a tweet out and I deleted it because I think it was misunderstood. But the point I was trying to make is that, look, we on this podcast have looked at players. We've looked at decisions often before we made a decision on them. You know, we'd look at transfer rumors and things like that. And, and I think we've been incredibly vocal and I think very sound in our judgments as to why some of these we thought were bad decisions and they've almost all played out to be, but it's just a calamity of errors. And again, yeah, I mean, obviously I do some stuff in football and I'm not a total novice. I don't think at least, Um, but it's really tough for me and I know people in in the game, uh, Premier League people, people all over the world, and I mean, Everton's almost a laughing stock. I mean, they they when they find out I'm an Everton fan, they apologize, and and some guys are also Everton's fans. It's funny. I, I was talking to someone from a Premier League club uh, like a month ago, and we just kind of were shaking our head about it. We just like couldn't even believe it. Like, what is going on over there? Now this club is very well run, uh, the best one at least that I've talked to, and uh, you just it's so obvious. And, and, and so Sean Lunt, who I like, I like at Sean Lunt, 
at Sean underscore Lunt, um, posted this tweet. And I'm curious what you think about Alex. We talked a little bit of it off the air and and I got to give it a little context because I don't want him to, I don't want to quote him in a negative way, but his comment was go down, rip it all up and start again. Could actually be a good thing for Everton in the long run. If Everton stayed up, would you trust this lot to go on and avoid this ever happening again? I absolutely wouldn't. So I initially thought he meant the players itself. I'm like, yeah, you can rip them all up. But my point was, if Farhad Mashiri is running the, running the show still actively, listening to Kia and Bill Kenwright, Bill gave himself a raise this past year. People should be absolutely outraged by that. And ultimately, why Bill is still there is absolutely a shock to me, other than he possibly must have cut a deal when he brought Farhad in to say, hey, do anything, but you got to keep me on a chair. And you feel like sometimes this is Bill's thing. Like, he's so proud to be part of it, but ultimately... He's the one that negotiated a lot of these deals. He's the one who basically allowed the club to totally overpay for the fullbacks um, to support Delhi Ali being brought in, who doesn't even play and, and to hire the manager ultimately. And he's the one that wanted you know, other decisions that have gone along that you just shake your head at. And you're like, how are you? How do you have the time and effort and frankly, the qualifications to even make an informed football decision? And that's the chairman. So if him and Mashiri are still involved in it, I mean, I, that was my point. I think Sean meant if they left. Yeah. He's right. But the problem we have with that, Alex, is you've got parachute payments for basically one year, but they're, they're it's not that big. And we'd have to sell almost every one of these guys, wouldn't we? I mean, relegation to me is an absolute disaster. We could be down in League One. I think that's a realistic thought. So I just don't see any positive coming out of that, even if those guys were to leave. I mean, if those guys were to leave and you brought in a, a smart owner, a good businessman who understood what the heck he did or woman, um, and they were modern. Um, they'd get killed at times, I'm sure, by some of the conservative folks in the press, as well as some of the people in Merseyside that are kind of stuck in the 80s. But I mean, someone that's truly progressive and intelligent, yeah, we'd be better off, but it still might be years before we get out of the championship. And we could go down one more if we can't move anyone on. I mean, I am really concerned about what relegation would do to this club. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about it. Uh, I know you're as nervous as me, but I mean, I'm. this is, I think, it's a potential absolute Sunderland situation for sure. Yeah, no, that nail on the head. I mean, we just, <laughs> we've seen the figures. We talked about, you know, the ginormous losses since Farhad Moshiri is coming to the club. We've talked about the terrible contracts we're constantly giving out, right? Shout out to Mason Holgate who got renewed. So wait, you don't think I'm overreacting? Now. You don't think um, I'm overreacting? Right. We've got overreacting. No, no, no. I genuinely feel like if we get relegated to the championship, there is a higher chance that we get relegated again to League One quicker than we would get promoted again. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, people all sort of think about this, right? Like, do you think if we get relegated, we're going to sell Dominic Calvert-Lewin for the same 55 mil to Arsenal that is rumored now? Do you think we have any leverage in any of those situations at all? Do you? I mean, we don't. All the players are going to want out, obviously. No other club, no buying club is going to pay out the wazoo for any of these guys. Where Charleston has what? I, I mean, I'm... I'm you know, I'm, I'm talking completely out of, out of pocket here, but what is he, does Richarlison have what, maybe like 10 goals in the last two years? So what, are we going to sell Richarlison for 60, 70 mil, make a decent profit? I, is he going to go to PSG to play with Neymar? Nah, I, how, where are we supposed to go? Mina, our best defender, he can't stay fit for half the time, but how do you bend your best defender when you just watch that at Burnley? How can you argue to get rid of Mina? We can't afford to. We can't afford to buy four new center backs, even if we sold them all. Uh, it's it's going to be a disaster if we get relegated, which there is a ginormous chance. 
Like I, I am genuinely almost always optimistic, but we have a huge chance of relegation. And I just have this gut feeling that it's going to be absolutely shambolic for the club. Shambolic. I'm sure a lot of people would say, well, who cares? These guys got us relegated. Well, not exactly. And there's been a lot of circumstances around it. But look, look what happened when we lost Luca Dean. How'd that go? Pretty badly, right? That's that's what happens. Like <laughs> you lose key players, you try to replace him. And Mikalenko played okay tonight. I mean, he's nowhere near as good as Luca Dean in this league. And maybe he eventually could be decent player. But that was that's what you used for 20 million pounds i mean that's what are you are you kidding you can't sell him for 20 million pounds tomorrow you blew it you blew it i mean he's legitimately maybe an eight or nine million pound buy i mean we said that at the time we says total overpay but that's the problem so if farhan bill are involved i mean there's no way i mean kevin thilwell's hands are tied i'm sure bill will go back with his new era sports guys buddy up he'd probably give Keane and holgate another extension and godfrey those guys are all by the way those guys are all with the same agent even worse he'd probably go get Max Aaron's, but who, how many of these guys would play in the championship? There's no way. And there's also this ridiculous myth that people are saying, oh, well, young up and coming teams, they'll come out of the championship and win. There is absolutely, trust me, I've done the math. I've done it for like the past seven or eight years. Um, there's absolutely no correlation whatsoever between age and promotion out of the championship. Um, you're just as likely to have an old team to do it or as young as you are a young team. And with the parachute payments, we better do it right away. Now, there's a very good chance of teams coming back up. But what does this team look like? Like, this isn't a Norwich that when you buy someone, they know there's a chance you could go down. You know what I mean? That This isn't like like all these guys joining Palace, for example, in the offseason. They knew there was a risk there. You know, um, when you join Burnley. Maxwell Cornett's a really good player. There's a risk you could go down. And you know that. And Burnley manages to that. We did not. You don't sign with Everton if you think there's even a remote chance of playing in the championship. So all these guys are going to scoff about that. I mean, they're all gone, man. And you're going to get nickels on the dime. And then what? I mean, you're going to have to replace 10 players at least, if not more. And you'd be like, oh, well, you know, no problem. We can still win the championship. Who is going to win? Are you serious? I don't know, man. It's uh, It could be a very, very bad situation. You could argue, well, you're still going to have a lot of sales, so you have a lot of money to play around with. What money? I mean, your, your wages have to be plummeted way low. I mean, Wolves had the most expensive team ever in the championship, and their wages are nowhere near. It's like half of what ours are at best. And they were, you know, had to sell a bunch of players to do it or had a bunch of loans, basically, that they had to buy. I mean, they bet the farm that they'd get promoted, basically. Are we going to do that? Take a bunch of people on loan and then buy them the next year on an option if we make it up to the Premier League? Do you have any faith in these people's ability to not, to like let Kevin Thelwell do his job? Yeah, man, it's it's massive. Uh, I will say this. I think the D.C. Toffees have a really good comment here um, on supporters clubs. And I, I have to admit, I mean, I got almost the same concern about the podcast a little bit, Alex. So I don't know if I want to hit this one. I think it's interesting. Obviously, I'm going to be an Everton fan for life. The too late for that. Thanks um, for touching me the way you have, you lovely people <laughs> of mercy side. I love you guys, but I hate you. Um, it just <laughs> happened, I guess, you know, walking into Goodison, all the magic. Thanks a lot. Um this is an interesting comment. I'm curious what your take is on it. Yeah, so so DC Toffees wrote on Twitter, I'm deathly afraid of what happens to the supporters clubs here in the States if we go down. We've worked so hard to grow the fan base here. Those efforts would likely grind to a halt. People will lose interest and will struggle to, struggle to bring in new fans. And I think that's 100% accurate. I mean, we know obviously it is good now. And I saw some some joke tweets about it, you know, oh, looks like I'm going to re-up my ESPN Plus subscription. So I guess at least now the championship is a little bit more accessible than it has been. 
Um, but I think, I mean, it, that is a huge concern, obviously, for us and um, all fan, I mean, all supporters clubs around the States, um, because it's going to be hard. I mean, and you also look, I mean, obviously, uh, Ryan, James and I are not the most casual of fans, but you imagine a ton of people are and, and with lack of accessibility um, and, and just the fact that we may end up being in the championship, I think we would lose um, quite a bit of the fan base and it would not be nearly as fun uh, talking and hanging out with the community. But I guess uh, it hasn't been too, too much fun in the last couple of months, has it? It's been, uh, I, heard, I heard some of the spaces maybe this, this evening were kind of toxic. Maybe glad we didn't uh, do one, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, imagine if we go down and we struggle in the championship. It's just like, <laughs> are you kidding? I, yeah, I just, I don't know what happens, but something major has to change. And I have no faith in the current brass to make those changes. Uh, no faith in Bill. Sorry, Bill. No faith in Farhad to do it. Uh, I'm not so sure Farhad even back us at this point. God knows what his financial situation is. I think all we can hope for is that we get a couple lucky results here. We stay up and someone comes in and makes him an offer he can't refuse which I think with some of the people he does business with is probably not going to scare him a lot. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, I, I hear what they, what they're saying and, and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of keep plugging on ourselves, but I wish there was some sort of silver lining here. I mean, other than a long coming back, which really does make a huge difference to this side. I mean, I do think we'll be more competitive in the games, um, going forward, I'm going to assume that Coleman is going to be healthy. Having Keen back does give us a little more flexibility, and Mina should be back pretty soon, I hope. But Delph should help. I mean, all these guys should help. It just might be too late, Alex. I mean, you could say, "Well, it's not too late. We're not, you know, we're not done yet." But boy, I mean, if you can't, I mean, if you're conceding three goals on the road against Burnley, oh, and that's just. It's embarrassing for sure. And, uh, and I just have no faith in the manager to organize the defense to stop that bleeding. And, and I don't think we're going to be able to score enough to make the difference. I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. That's my final take on everything, Alex. You can close her out if you would like to, my friend. Yeah, all I've got to say is I, uh, with all the guys coming back, the lack of subs today, I, I hope that we do see at least three or four changes to the starting lineup against United on the weekend. Um, but otherwise, we do appreciate, as always, you tuning in. Um, please, if you haven't already rate, review, subscribe, follow us on all our social media. You can find all of our links at linktr.ee slash USA toffee pod. Please join our discord group. Uh, we have a really fun community invite.gg slash ATP. Obviously all these links will be in the description. Um, otherwise we will catch you on Saturday following the match against United. And until next time up the toffees.